Good morning, everyone. Welcome to day 12 of the 7 a.m. Novelist March, March Writing Challenge. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Today, we have two incredible writers and friends, Daphne Calate and Margot Livesey, talking to us about feedback, how to handle getting feedback, and how to give it. Good morning, you two. It's afternoon to you guys, right? It's afternoon, yes. I think. We don't know what time it is. Okay, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, Margot Livesey grew up on the edge of the so- Scottish Highlands. She is the author of nine novels, a collection of stories, and a book of essays about the craft of fiction. She teaches at the Ira Writers Workshop and spends much of the year in Cambridge, Mass. Margot, I think, actually gave me that bio, and it really undercuts the amazingness that she has done. So I would check out her website if, she want, if you want to see all the wonderful things that she's done. Uh, Daphne Calate is the author of the story collection Calamity and Other Stories as well as the novels Russian Winter, Sight Reading, and Blue Hours. Her best-selling work has been published in 20 languages and won her numerous national and international awards. Her forthcoming collection, The Archivist, won the 2021 Grace Paley Prize and will be published in spring of 2023, this spring. Uh, Daphne lives in Somerville, Massachusetts and teaches at Princeton. All right, ladies, thank you so much for being on. Margo, why don't you get us going? Margo said, hey, I'd like to talk about feedback. So I said, okay, let's run with it. Let's talk about feedback. So Margo, when you think about feedback, when you talk about feedback with your students, where do you start? Well, often I start um, often I start by telling them t- two stories. One briefly about um, my first novel when I had two editors, uh, one in New York and one in Toronto. And one of them would say, you know, everything's fine until I get to chapter three, but then chapter three just seems incredibly rushed. You really need to slow down chapter three. And the other editor in New York would um, say, no, no, everything's fine until chapter three, but chapter three is just much too slow. You really need to speed it up. I don't know why you're getting so bogged down in chapter three. And it took me a while to realize they were saying the same thing, which is there's a problem with chapter three and I need to pay attention. Um, So that is one starting place for feedback. And the other was just what happened with my last novel when I gave it to four readers, not writers, um, and they each found a completely different problem with the novel. And there was no overlap between the problems. And none of the problems have been noticed by my editor. Both of those things made me think about the importance of feedback, but also the importance of navigating feedback, Um, Mm -hmm. not just responding with a kind of knee jerk, oh, I must fix this when someone says there's a problem. Yeah. Yeah, you have to look for the root beneath it. Um, I recently worked with a a writer. She's an incredible writer. She's a novel incubator. um, And she gave me her book and her book covered a huge amount of material. And she'd gotten feedback from her agent and her agent. Well, so this writer thought that the book really kicked into gear in the second half. Um, But her agent really liked the first half of the story. And so she was really confused. She didn't understand how to make that make sense of that. And I said, yes. When I read it, I thought, well, yes. And it was interesting because I was able to see both sides. Yes, the novel kicks into gear in the second half. However, because we've read through the first half and we've gotten so engaged with the characters in the first half, we're not willing to go to the second half. We just want to stay in the first half. (laughs) We're not willing to, to reset into a whole new book is what it felt like. Um, so if she really wanted the second half to be the book, 
she would probably have to start there. I mean, it, you, you really have to kind of look back and go, okay, what's under this? And what, and like you said, there's something wrong with chapter three. And, you know, I think different people kind of assign names or labels to the problems because they're trying to be helpful to you. But sometimes that's not always helpful. And you have to kind of go back <laughs> and figure it out for yourself. Daphne, how about you? Yes. What do you usually start with with students? Um, similarly, this um, not misdirection, but sometimes it's not just that people are assigning um, labels, but even suggestions. And yeah. I think the fact that what we need to listen to maybe is not so much the specific suggestion, but the fact that a suggestion is being made. Because what I've noticed myself is that often when I get these ideas, oh, here's a great way that you could maybe fix this thing that's happening. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's not so much the idea that's being suggested that is going to help me, but it, it's that there's something happening there that's not working on the page. So that's what I need to listen to. Um, so yeah. that's what I try to tell my students, because I, of course, notice in the workshop, right, that that students will say, wouldn't it be great if this thing happened here? And I'll think that's a pretty terrible idea. But I think what they're reacting to is that something does need to happen in that scene and or the scene isn't working or, or something like that. Right. 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 And um, yeah, exactly. Margo, you were talking about also getting positive feedback and how that created its own problems, too. Um, yes. Now, I wish getting positive feedback was a more common problem for me, but um, I will say that with one of my manuscripts, very unusually, an early reader told me it was perfect. And um, that was lovely, lovely to hear, but it was very misleading. And it made me cautious of making changes that I really needed to make, because yeah. I was thinking, oh, am I losing whatever it, it is that she really likes? So, um, and I, I see that problem in sort of microcosm, um, especially with, with, both, uh, with both stories and novels, that someone will say the opening scene is so great and the next scene is, has problems. And though it's great to hear the opening scene is great, but that, again, as Daphne is saying, that may not be what the problem is. Um, so I think, again, with praise, I would say it's trying to think what lies beneath the praise and trying not to let it distort your vision too much or make sure that it comes out of something that coincides with your vision, a reading that coincides with your vision. Yeah, yeah. And I think, too, I try to, um, I mean, I think it's important, obviously, people like to get that that praise and people will go through when they respond to novels or short stories and pick out favorite sentences, which is great. However, if you pick out a favorite sentence on a page, the person might feel that they have to keep that page <laughs> or have to keep that paragraph. And so it can get them kind of stuck. Um, and actually my agent recently, when I was working on a book, he really likes a particular aspect of the book. And so I got really excited and I started to run with it. I like that aspect as well, but it actually completely took the took the novel off the rails <laughs> and um so that's it's hard too because you get excited about it too so how about you Daphne have you ever had anyone wax poetic about praise to you and it's kind of taking you off track you know it's funny I'm trying to think if that's happened it probably has um and I think you know what you're getting at also is maybe 
that sometimes we show something maybe too early um, or at a point where we feel like, you know, I've hit a wall and I would like some feedback um, and I would like some guidance, but we also want that uplift too, because that sustains us, but that can lead us in another direction. But I've also had it go the other way. Um, you know, I mean, I remember um, with my first novel, um, having an agent who kept saying, I mean, this shows also how much the industry has changed. She kept saying, just give me a hundred pages, just a hundred pages. I can sell it with a hundred pages. And I remember I said, I have 300 pages. They're a mess. <laughs> I don't want to give you any of the pages. And after a lot of pressure, I gave her a hundred pages. And this was a book that went back and forth in time between two intertwining storylines. And that was the whole point of the story really was how these things intertwined. And she, afterwards she said, I really like the whole part that the historical storyline in Russia in the 1940s and 50s. Can the whole book just be that? <laughs> you know, yeah. I just want that. And, and she said, you know, and if you want to read an example, there's a book, I think it was called like something about elephants, chocolate and elephants. I can't remember the title exactly, but it was something that was Water back and Yeah, it was something that went back and forth between the depression era and the, and the, and now. And she yeah. said, I just skipped all the chapters about now. <laughs> and so I thought that to me is very telling. I think I need to leave you and go to another agent because I think this is probably about you and not me. And I think, so this right. is what I'm, my point here is, is again, to listen very carefully, right? What else is the reader saying? Are they saying something about them or is it yeah. just about your book? When she said that about that person's book, I thought this is her reading style. It's not necessarily that there's a problem with my book. Right, right. And that's so tough. You know, we talk a lot in class about trying to follow the writer's um, intentions and what they want to do with the book. However, we also have writers that have get very, very excited um, and and they just and they can't quite help themselves with their own biases. Um, so actually, in my class now, I actually have the students write out when they write their letters write what their biases might be. Like I normally read historical fiction or I normally skip these parts or I normally don't like books about, you know, dogs or I normally love books about dogs or whatever sort of thing so that the writer is thinking first, what are my biases? What, what might be holding me back from this? Um, I don't normally like chick lit or whatever, whatever sort of thing. So they have that first. And I think that helps them to ground them a little bit and put them back into the writer's intentions a little bit. Um, Margo, how in, in terms of guiding students on how to give feedback, are there other things that you tell students to do? Well, I tell them something that I first heard Charlie Baxter um, say, um, his wonderful book of essays, Burning Down the House, is really so incredibly helpful. Um, when I team talk with him in the Warren Wilson program, and he would always get people to describe what they'd seen on the, what they'd read. Yeah. And try to describe it without assigning value. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, you know, to, as it were, hold up a mirror to the work. And I do try to, to get my students to do that. And it's interesting how 
um, hard it is not to start saying I loved, I hated. Well, they don't say I hated because they're lovely people, but you know, I loved this and I loved that. You know, it's it, it's a kind of primal instinct in us. But I think it's really more helpful if someone says, in in the scene where um, Jamel talks to his mother in the kitchen, I particularly appreciated the way um, they cooked together or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And yes. you can do that with like describing, okay, let's describe the character of Alice. What are you seeing on the page? Um, let's describe the storyline or just basically what happens in chapter two. Particularly if it's if it's a if it's a um, confusing chapter, it can be very helpful. Instead of the people in the room saying, "I was just confused. I had no idea what was going on," to actually give their reading experience. Okay, this is what I saw that was happening, and then the writer can then take those things and be like, "Oh, that's not what I intended." Um, and it's a little bit less finger pointing way of, of offering feedback, and, and and can be very helpful, um, particularly if an author is. Um, well, any kind of author. I think it's helpful for any kind of author, really. Um, Daphne, yeah. what do you think in terms of guiding people to give feedback? Um, so yes, always I say to be as specific as possible. And I actually um, suggest always beginning with a statement of uh, what the person thinks the story or the chapter or the piece is about. Um, or, you know, I don't maybe about isn't the best word, but, you know, what is your understanding of what you have read? Because I think that's the, the the clearest way to show here's what I understood. Here's what came through for me. And it's always revelatory because so many times the, the writer will say that isn't at all what I meant. You know, that was supposed to be a loving relationship between the two of them. Why did half the class think it was passive aggressive, you know, and this will come through. And I, and when I'm leading a workshop, I always begin with that question. Uh, And it's interesting too, because when somebody will start off and say, oh, I saw it as a story about, you know, X, and then immediately somebody will say, oh, I saw it as a story about Y. It's that, that often happens. Um, And again, I think this is where the person having, receiving the feedback needs to listen very carefully, right? At the same time to say, to what extent is the person interpreting something because of their own biases, right? Because that's also, right. right? Somebody, I I have um, a friend who um, is really psychological in the way that she always interprets things. And this is great when I want feedback, right? On the psychology of my characters, but I will always wait to give her my manuscripts until um, I'm much further into those drafts because I can't give them earlier before the, the the characters are fully formed because she will already be like assigning them all sorts of motivations and things that aren't there and that are based on you know her wanting to sort of analyze them so um but I know that about her right so so that helps me understand her reading yeah, yeah, and that can be helpful. You'll go to certain people to give you feedback about certain things. I have, I have a friend, and I always go to her to see if, if about the pacing or if anything is boring because she'll just slash through my pages 
<laughs> she'll just do a red slash. I'll be like, okay, because she didn't like that. And she's usually right. I'm like, okay, this is dying right here. I need to pay attention to this. Um, and I did want to go back to the idea of uh, when people in workshops or or any sort of group of um of writers starts gets gets very prescriptive and starts offering ideas. Um I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing um, because I think it can kind of um, open up the author's ability to think of other possibilities. Um, however, you do need to look at, you probably, probably none of those ideas and prescriptions are what you want to take. <laughs> so just allow them to open up ideas for you, but also know none of those ideas are going to, are probably going to work for you because you're not, they're not your ideas. And you again need right. to go back to the source problem. Right. And it can be um, tempting, right, to grab at something because we want easy yeah. solutions. Um, at the same time, what they're best for, I think, is you're right, making us think more broadly. And I think this is the other point I would make also about giving feedback is to think, um, and this is a term I know you use, Michelle, in that more macro way rather than micro, right? Yeah. Um, what are the bigger questions, right? Is the structure working? Is the tone matching the content? Because that's often the sort of, you know, those are the issues sometimes that we find, um, oh, wow, that the tone really changes between, you know, the first three chapters and the next four chapters. And it doesn't quite seem intentional or, right. Um, or I need to know that that's intentional. Um, and, uh, you know, I think at, this is the point where, where then we, we sort of um, try to, try to um, figure out where we want it, where we want to go. Right. And, yeah. And who, who we want to, follow. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. And so when so after you get the feedback, do you organize it? Do you create lists? How do you use it when you set about then going into your revision? Do you create a plan? Well, I usually Oh, sorry, go ahead, Margo. No, go ahead, Daphne. Just give I need to gather my scattered thoughts. <laughs> well, I was just going to say they often feel like scattered thoughts right when you get the feedback. And yeah. I'm often really overwhelmed. And I will sit with them for a while. Um, and I, because I don't want to start revising or redrafting until I feel really excited about it. And there was something that another writer um, told me in a group at some point, and I wish I could remember who said it, because <clears throat> I loved this idea so much. She said she uses an approach that she called her mental butler, which was um, after, you know, you've written down the feedback you get in a workshop and you have sort of that whole page of notes and, and you're almost afraid to look back at it, right? Because you think, oh, where do I even start? Um, and it's painful to look back because you really wanted to just say, this is really perfect. Um, she doesn't look back at that. Instead, she takes out a new piece of paper and then she sits down and writes down what she remembers from yeah. having taken notes because your mental butler will have organized for you what really resonated. You will have remembered the things that made sense to you. And of course, the things that really wounded you as well, probably, <laughs> but maybe you yeah. can discard those. Yeah. Margo, how about you? Yeah, I love that. That's a great idea. That, I'm, I'm just writing that down. That's a fantastic idea. I, I hope that we all have well-organized mental butlers, though. I'm worried that we might not all, but, but yeah. Uh, no, I just 
was going to remark that it's, you know, we're taking it as a given. I mean, we're three writers with quite a body of experience between us and quite a lot of books between us. And yet we're all still, we all still feel that we need feedback, we need comments, yeah. we need readers, we need help. And I think, you know, for most writers, that is lifelong, as far as I can tell, um, at least for most writers who want to keep growing and improving. Um, I think what I often end up doing is following a character through the work. Um, mm. So, you know, maybe I'll be looking at, I'll just go through looking at the mother or just go through looking at the shoplifter. So I'll just be tracking them and thinking, how are they coming off the page? How are they coming to life? How can I deepen and complicate them? How can I make their um, the, the the subtext resonate at a at a higher level, if that makes sense? And mm -hmm. so that's I think often one way. And another thing that I often tend to go back to is is the setting. Yeah. Because I feel I can nearly always get better at my settings. And it's often something that trips the reader up in ways that maybe she doesn't realize. Um, but I realize that that's the problem. They're stumbling coming into the work because of my lack of clarity. And I love that. I, I've talked about, I think Robert Boswell also talks about that um, as well in tra transitional drafts. He talks about creating a, he creates a list and maybe Margo, you just keep the list of things in your head, do you think? Or do you create like a written list of things you need to do? Uh, because I like making lists. I usually have a written list. Um, yeah. but I don't often, you know, sometimes days will pass without my consulting it. And then I'll think, Oh my God! I forgot to do the thunderstorm, and I'll rush back to do work on the thunderstorm. And how do you organize your re revision list? Because I've got that question from some writers. Um, or is it just a list? She's like, I don't organize it. <laughs> I just say I'm not sure I do organize it. I wish yeah. I wish I did. I think that instinctively one recognizes the micro and the macro problems, and I. Yeah. I like to think about, you know, the big the big things first, mm -hmm. and yeah, and then and, and and going when you sit down at your desk that day, um, seeing at all those things, but you can just follow one of them, and maybe just follow the one you're excited about that day, sure. so that you can use your time that day and your energy that day um, to really work for you. Yeah, I would say sorry, especially. Um, my non-point of view characters often take a while to really show up on the page. So yeah. they typically do need me to go back and do quite a bit of work on them. Right, right. Daphne, how about you? Do you do like an external list or revision list of some sort? Or do you? You know, it's usually just on my to-do list for whatever <laughs> book or project I'm working on, I'll have a to-do and then there will be, you know, a pages long list of what I intend <laughs> to do, which yeah. and not all of it gets done. So the revision points um, based on feedback will, will be there. And sometimes it's just for a long time, I'm just thinking about the feedback that I've been given, you know, and trying to figure out what the solutions are. And, and the other thing I'll just say is, I think knowing 
you know, who you can turn to for specific types of issues if you're so lucky to have different readers who you trust is really helpful. Um, I have yeah. one friend who's really good with plot. So if I'm struggling with plot, I know that I can give something to her and that she will give me great feedback. Um, and again, I have this friend who's really good with psychology, you know, and um, and so kind of having um, an assembly line of people for my, I really could not do it on my own. I really feel like with each draft, it's kind of going down the assembly line. And, um, and that's, that's part of the process for me. And you're never going to get to everything on that list. I think that's good to remember. Um, every novel is broken. Always remember that. And you're mm -hmm. always trying to fix it. That's basically what a novel is. Okay, we're going to have to go. Um, just so you guys know, you can find our full March writing challenge schedule on the Substack page at 7amnovelist.substack.com. You can subscribe to that page for any updates and join the discussion. And you can, if you want to join our daily webinars in March, you can shoot me an email at 7amnovelist at substack.com. You can also find the podcast version of these webinars on Spotify, Apple, and all other podcast platforms. And if you like what we're doing, it's fabulous if you'd be willing to follow, rate, and review our podcast so that we get attention from other listeners and they can find us. So Margo and Daphne, are, have you been able to get any writing done today or are you hoping to get any writing done today? It's Friday. Yes, um, I got a very little bit done today. And also I want to add one more important fact that was not in my bio before I forget, which is that I am also a former student of Margot's. <laughs> so yes. that is also where I first was learning about feedback and receiving feedback. <laughs> so that is also part of my, my um, education in this. Yes, we are both very grateful uh, receivers of Margot's. <laughs> <laughs> reads for us and help for us. Margo, how about you? Have you been able to get some writing done today or do you plan to this afternoon? I plan to this afternoon. And I just wanted to say that I think we've been talking quite a lot in terms of novels, but Daphne right. is the author of what, two wonderful collections of short stories. This, the second one is coming in April, The Archivists. And I think some of the issues are maybe a little bit different that it's easier to get readers for stories and easier yeah. to sort of set out the diverse comments that one gets and responses. Um, so I just wanted to mention that, that not everything is about the global revision of the novel. Yes, yes. So definitely look for Daphne's uh, The Archivist, which is out this spring. Daphne, do you have an actual publication date? Uh, April 15th. Yeah. April 15th, tax day. Isn't that tax day? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so that's something to look forward to on tax day. Okay, thank you both so much for spending your time and for helping people out. And everyone, I want you to get back to your writing chairs. It is 7 a.m., I hope, or a little after 7 a.m., I hope, for you. And I hope everyone has a fabulous writing day. Thank you so much.